وَإِمِّنْ قَرِيَةٍ And there is no city إِلَّا except نَحْنُ مُهْلِكُوهَا We will put an end to it. مُهْلِكُوهَا is a plural of مُهْلِك Who is مُهْلِك? One who does halak. What is halak? It can be understood in several ways. One is to destroy, which is typically the translation of this word. To destroy. However, halak is also used for death. It is also used for death. Like for example in Surah An-Nisa where the verses of inheritance are mentioned. It is said, إِنِمْ رُؤُنْ هَلَكَ If a man halaka, If he is destroyed, no, what that means is if he dies. You understand? So, إِلَّا نَحْنُ مُهْلِكُوهَا We are going to put an end to it. We are going to finish it. Meaning every city, every population, every people, every nation, every person is going to die one day. قَبْلَ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ Before the day of judgment. It's going to die a natural death. Meaning everyone is going to finish eventually, sooner or later. أَوْ مُعَذِّبُوهَا Or we're going to punish it. عَذَابًا شَدِيدًا A severe punishment. Meaning they're going to be finished. Why? Because of the sins that they have committed. They're going to be punished. In this life, كَانَ ذَلِكَ فِي الْكِتَابِ مَسْطُورًا This is ever in the book, مَسْطُور مَسْطُور meaning written from سَطَرَ سَطَرَ is to make a line. And words when they're written, how are they written? In lines. So this is written in the book, meaning this is decided, decreed, that all people who live upon this earth shall die. Everyone's time upon this earth is limited. Eternity is where? Where is it? In the hereafter. And how it will be, meaning how a person will be in the akhirah, that depends on how he is right now. So the point of the ayah is that nobody is here forever. Everybody is going to go. So be concerned about where you're going to end up. Focus on that. وَمَا مَنَعَنَا And nothing has prevented us. النُرْسِلَ That we send. ayat, Signs. Miracles. That people demand. Because the people, mushrikeen, they demanded from the Prophet ﷺ, show us a miracle, show us a miracle. You say that Musa was also a prophet and he showed such and such miracle. Or Isa was a prophet and he showed such and such miracle. What about us? If you're really a prophet, prove that to us, show us some miracle. What kind of miracle? Ibn Abbas said that the people of Makkah asked the Prophet ﷺ to turn the mountains of As-Safa and Al-Marwa into gold. Wow. Seriously, you're going to believe in one God because you see a mountain turn into gold? Is that the reason for believing in God? Isn't that mountain enough of a reason? And they said, if you're really a prophet, then remove all these mountains from around Makkah and turn this barren land into fertile land. Really? Isn't the desert enough of a miracle? Aren't the mountains a miracle? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that why is it that we do not send miracles that people demand? What's the reason? Is it difficult for Allah? to turn Mount Safa and Marwa into gold, to remove the mountains of Makkah. Is it difficult? No. If He created them, He can also remove them. If He made them one way, He can also change their form. He is fully capable of doing that. Then why doesn't He show the miracles? Because, إِلَّا except أَنْ كَذَّبَ بِهَا الْأَوَّلُونَ The former people, the past generations, the first people, people who came before, what did they do? They denied the miracles. Think about it. When Musa went to Fir'aun and showed him the staff turn into a snake, did Fir'aun say, Oh wow, I believe in you. 
Did he say that? No. What did he say? This is magic. We can compete with it. He denied, right? Isa alayhi salam, when he showed the miracles, amazing miracles, what was the reaction of the Bani Israel? Did they believe? No, they called him a magician. They called him a liar. So the thing is that iman, the point that is being made over here is that iman is not a result of seeing something amazing. Iman is what? The submission of the heart. Acceptance in the heart. And you don't need to see big, amazing, astounding things in order to accept the reality. Reality is obvious. It's there. You know, for example, some people, they keep demanding from others, show me you love me, show me you love me. I don't believe you love me until you do this and this and this, and until you show me this and this and this. Well, really, that is what they need to show you to prove to you that they love you? You know, for example, a woman, she'll say, my husband doesn't love me. Why? Well, because it's been one year and he didn't buy me any gift. Seriously, he didn't buy me any gift. I do this, I cook and I clean and I look after the children and he hasn't bought me any gift and he's got so much money. Well, think about the house that he's paying for, for you. Think about the furniture that he's buying for you. Just because he didn't buy you a ring and sit at his knees, you know, in front of you, that doesn't mean that he does not love you. That doesn't mean that he does not love you. These are superficial things. And people who are superficial, who get very affected by the things that they see, they're the ones who demand such things. In relationships and also when it comes to religion. I've done a few events and tabling things where I'm like, you know, handing out information to people. And uh, what I learned from that is that you don't want to hand out tons of information to people who you know are just not interested at all. You're only going to show more information, give out more you know, deals and things to people who are actually interested in coming in closer. Because if you spend 10 minutes talking to someone who is not going to pay attention anyways, it's just a waste of your time, and you miss the opportunity to talk to people who might actually want to do something or learn from you know, what you're giving out to them. Yes. So it's a similar situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why would He give them signs and miracles when they don't want to listen anyways? There's no point to it. Exactly. So, إِلَّا أَنْ كَذَّبَ بِهَا الْأَوَّلُونَ وَآتَيْنَا ثَمُودَ النَّاقَةَ Now an example is given that we gave to the people of Thamud the naqa. What is naqa? She-camel. Remember when they demanded that a she-camel walk out of the rocky mountains? And what happened? It literally came out. It literally came out. There was a she-camel, pregnant she-camel that walked out from a mountain before their eyes. They saw it. Mubsiratan. Mubsira. What is mubsira? Visible. Like we learned earlier, the sun is visible, right? So they saw it. And Mubsira is also one that gives visibility, one that opens up your eyes. So really, once they saw that camel coming out of the mountain, it should have opened up their eyes. But did it open their eyes? No, why? Because they didn't want to open them. If they wished to open them, then there were plenty of miracles available from before. فَظَلَمُوا biha. They did zulm with that camel. How? They killed it. وَمَا نُرْسِلُ بِالْآيَاتِ إِلَّا تَخْوِيفًا We do not send ayat, miracles, except as a takhweef. Takhweef from khawf. Khawf is fear, takhweef to arouse fear. Meaning, the only reason of sending these signs is to warn people. It's a warning. That think, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can cause this to happen before your eyes, aren't you afraid? Aren't you scared of Him? What are you doing by denying Him, by turning away from Him? وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لَكَ And recall when we said to you, 
meaning to the Prophet ﷺ, إِنَّ رَبَّكَ أَحَاطَ بِالنَّاسِ Indeed, your Lord has encompassed the people. He has encompassed all people. The thing is that, if you try to understand the position of the Prophet ﷺ, that how he is saying something and people are not believing in him. Has it ever happened with you that you say something to a person and they say, no way, not possible. It's so disheartening. It's so discouraging. You become afraid. And then, some people, what they do is that they don't just disagree with you. They become very hostile towards you. So, as their hostility increases, you also become afraid of them. So the Prophet ﷺ, obviously, he was a human being. And he felt naturally afraid from people. People who opposed him. Think about it. He's in Makkah. He's in the Haram. Performing Salah. And Abu Jahl comes. And he tries to put his foot on the neck of the Prophet ﷺ. Think about it. Would you ever have the courage to pray again in public if this happened to you? If you're talking to someone, if you're, you know, you're addressing people and somebody stands up and starts you know, threatening you or saying negative things about you. The Prophet ﷺ, Mount Safa, he called everybody. He's giving da'wah. And what happens? Abu Lahab, he just insults the Prophet ﷺ in front of everybody. If you were in that position, wouldn't you be afraid of speaking again to people? Yeah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforts the Prophet ﷺ. Don't worry, your Lord has encircled everybody. He has encompassed everybody. They are all within His grasp. So don't fear them. Don't fear these people because Allah will protect you. Allah will save you. They cannot harm you. And that's exactly what happened. Abu Jahl came to step on the neck of the Prophet ﷺ. But what happened? He moved back. Abu Jahl, he was afraid for his life. People tried to harm him. But they suffered because Allah protected him. Allah protected the Prophet ﷺ. وَمَا جَعَلْنَا And we did not make الرُّؤْيَا The vision Allati which arainaka we showed you, meaning all the scenes that we showed you. When was the Prophet ﷺ shown amazing scenes on the night journey? Remember, at the beginning of the surah, we learned about Isra and Mi'raj. So the Prophet ﷺ was taken on that journey to Jerusalem, and then from there up to the heavens, and then he was made to see so many things. And when he came back and told the people about it, what happened? People laughed at him. They mocked at him. They ridiculed him. They rejected him even more. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, the reason why we gave you this was only illa except fitnatan linnas as a test for people. As a test for people. As a fitna. The thing is that this journey that the Prophet ﷺ was taken on was a real journey. It was not a dream. It was in body, in a state of consciousness. And when he returned and informed the people, some people, they increased in their belief. They increased in their faith. And other people, what happened? Who were far from belief anyway, they went even farther away from belief. They rejected the Prophet ﷺ even more. So this was a test. That who will believe and who will not believe? Whenever there is an unusual situation, what does that do? It brings about the reality of people, what they truly are from inside. Right? Because when things are normal, routine, then what happens? We can pretend. We can fake. We can cover up. We can force ourselves to behave in a particular way. We can agree. But when things are unusual, then what happens? What is inside is revealed. It is exposed. 
So this is the reason why over and over again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes people go through unusual situations. When they hear about something strange, when they see something strange, or when something is very difficult, very painful, very hard, so that their reality is exposed. Why? So that people come to know about themselves. Because the problem is that we don't even recognize ourselves. We think, yeah, yeah, I'm very patient. But then what happens when you get hurt and you're screaming? What happens? What does that show to you? I'm not all that patient. We think, you know what? It doesn't affect me how people talk to me. But then what happens when your younger brother insults you? And you insult him more in return? You realize, I need to fix myself. I need to work on myself. So this Isra Mi'raj, this journey, what was the purpose behind it? A fitna for the people, a test for the people. And this is not the only time when people are tested. At another time, when ayat were revealed about the shajara that is mal'una. Shajara, the tree that is mal'una, cursed. It is mentioned where? Fil Quran, in the Quran. Which tree is this? The tree which is in hell, a zaqum. When the ayat were revealed about zaqum tree, innaha shajaratun takhruju fi aslil jahim, Surah Al-Safat, ayah 64 to 66, that indeed it is a tree that grows from the bottom of hellfire. It's emerging fruit as if it was the heads of devils. So when this ayah was revealed, Abu Jahl, he mocked. He started making fun of the Prophet ﷺ. He said, bring us some butter and dates. So butter and dates was brought to him. And he said, oh, let's have some zakum." He was mocking at the Prophet ﷺ, mocking at the words of Allah. And this behavior exists today as well. That people find something in the Qur'an that doesn't settle well with them, they don't fully understand. And what happens? They start making fun of it. They start making fun of it. In the most horrible ways. That even hearing about it, it's disturbing. I mean, think about the amount of jokes that people have just about God. That people make just about God. That people make about Isa salam. That people make about Muhammad wasallam. So you wonder sometimes that why is it that we are given this information, for example, about Jannah. You know, for instance, Jannah. There's Hurul Ain in Jannah. And people make a lot of fun of this. Right? And you wonder why has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned this when He knew that people could potentially make this a matter of dispute and mocking at religion. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention this in the Quran? As a fitna, as a test. It's a test of belief, right? And also, I mean, it shows the mentality of people. That it's amazing how in the Qur'an we are told about so many different kinds of rewards that will be in Jannah, in paradise. And what do people say? Oh, how come men can have hurul in Jannah? What about women? What can they have? Really, is that all you can think about? I think that's so disgusting. When women say this, if men will have hur, what about women? Like seriously? That's all you can think about Jannah? You forgot about the houses and the rivers and the peace and the happiness and perfection of life? You don't give any importance to that? All you're concerned about is partners? And the number of partners? Seriously? I mean, there's a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned these things to us, right? And what is that? To either put fear in our hearts or to encourage us to do good. But people who are looking for problems, they'll make problems out of no problems. 
they'll just pick on something and focus on it to the point that it will lead them to kufr. It will lead them to disbelief. وَنُخَوِّفُهُمْ Allah says, and we threaten them. Meaning zakum is mentioned. Why? In order to warn people. But look at people. فَمَا يَزِيدُهُمْ It does not increase them. إِلَّا إِكْسَبْ طُغْيَانًا كَبِيرًا A great transgression. Meaning instead of becoming humble, and instead of seeking Allah's protection against the punishment, what do they do? They make fun. They mock. They rebel even more. Likewise, when it comes to mi'raj, when it comes to the night journey, people make fun of it. They will say, oh, really, you believe that your prophet went on something like a donkey up to the skies. You actually believe in that. And they try to make you think, oh, how is it possible for an animal to fly? And how is it possible for a human being to go up there? You know what? We are human beings and we know very little. And we have limited ability. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is God. We are who? Creation. Creation, limited in power and ability. God is different. He can do whatever He wants. He can execute His will. We can see only what is in front of us. And He can see everything. The problem is that we compare Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with ourselves. We compare the matters of the akhirah with this dunya. And there is a huge difference. Huge difference. And until and unless a person accepts this reality, God is different from me. He can do whatever He wants, and I cannot do whatever I want. The hereafter is a different world altogether, completely. And this world, this life is different. What is not possible here, may be possible over there. It can be, especially if Allah is telling us. This is why one of the first descriptions of people who benefit from the Qur'an is what? الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ Who believe in the unseen. Assalamu alaikum. I was just thinking how Allah knows us so well because if you look at the Qur'an, a lot of people say, oh now it's, we live in a new world. It doesn't revolve around us. We don't need it. But every single thing that Allah has said so far, it does we are all doing the same thing. Every single thing that the people of the past have done, we're doing it all over again. It's like we've advanced, but human nature is still exactly the same. Exactly. So when you think about it, we need to change ourselves inside first yes. before we do anything else. Yes. I mean, human nature is still the same. The way that Abu Jahl would react, that's exactly how people react today. The way that people would make fun of the Prophet from the Qur'an at that time, people make fun in the same way today. In fact, even worse. So the Qur'an came as an answer to them, Right? So we need Qur'an as well. Continuing from the previous point, I was just thinking that because human nature has been the same since so long, shaitan keeps using the exact same tricks over and over and over again, and we get fooled every single time. And this is why the next ayat are about the shaitan. So that we understand his tricks, his attacks, how he leads people astray, because unless and until we recognize him as an enemy, and know how he works, we cannot be safe from him. Let's listen to the recitation of these ayat. وَإِن مِّن قَرْيَةٍ إِلَّا نَحْنُ مُهْلِكُوهَا قَبْلَ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ أَوْ مُعَذِّبُوهَا عَذَابًا شَدِيدًا كَانَ ذَلِكَ فِي الْكِتَابِ مَسْئُورًا وَمَا مَنَعَنَا أَن نُرْسِلَ بِالْآيَاتِ إِلَّا كَذَّبَ بِهَا الْأَوَّلُونَ 
وَآتَيْنَا ثَمُودَ النَّاقَةَ مُبْصِرَةً فَظَلَمُوا بِهَا وَمَا نُرْسِلُ بِالْآيَاتِ إِلَّا تَخْوِيفًا وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لَكَ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ أَحَاطَ بِالنَّاسِ وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَا الَّتِي أَرَيْنَاكَ إِلَّا فِتْنَةً لِلنَّاسِ وَالشَّجَرَةَ الْمَلْعُونَةَ فِي الْقُرْآنِ وَنُخَوِّفُهُمْ فَمَا يَزِيدُهُمْ إِلَّا طُغْيَانًا كَبِيرًا Yesterday we learned about Al-Wasilah that those people whom the mushrikeen worship, those individuals who are worshipped besides Allah, whether they are angels or they are righteous human beings or they are prophets, those whom people call upon besides Allah, what is their reality? Who are they themselves in need of? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Because in the ayah, what has been said? That they يَبْتَغُونَ إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمُ الْوَسِيلَةِ they seek means of nearness to their Lord. Ayyuhum aqrab. Each one of them is trying his best to attain closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They hope in His mercy and they also fear His punishment. Now, what is the meaning of wasila? I told you the meaning yesterday. What is the meaning of wasila? At-taqarrub. Remember this word, at-taqarrub. What does taqarrub mean? To draw near, to attain closeness. Alright? It means to attain closeness. Now if you want to go closer to someone, do you have to do something? What do you have to do? One is that you talk to them. So one way of attaining nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what? Dua. And that is what we discussed yesterday. That how the Prophet also made dua. Right? Why? In order to draw closer to Allah. What are other ways of drawing close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Okay, tawbah. Because our sins create a distance. So you want to overcome those distances. So what do you do? You do tawbah. You repent. You seek forgiveness. That's a valid way. What else? Yes? Good. Performing those actions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. Right? So performing various good deeds. So for instance, what kind of good deeds can we perform in order to draw closer to Allah? Okay, fasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves fasting. To the point that in Hadith Qudsi we learn, As-sawmu li. Fasting is just for me. Wa'ana ajzibi. And I will reward for it. Yes? Sadaqa, charity. Does that draw a person close to Allah? Yes. What's the evidence? Does Allah welcome the sadaqah of a believer? Yes. So much so that in hadith we learned that when a person spends in the way of Allah from tayyib, meaning from the good money that he has, from halal, lawful money that he has, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala welcomes it. And He accepts it. Taking it how? In His right hand. And He causes it to grow and increase. Just like a person looks after the foal that he has. A baby horse and nurtures it, looks after it. So much so that that charity, even though it was so little, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it grow so that the person will get the reward of a mountain. So sadaqah is also a way of drawing close to Allah. Any other deed? Yes? 
reciting the Quran, recitation of the Quran. Yes, qiyam, standing in prayer. Yes, feeding the needy. What about giving to the people their rights, hukuk al-ibad? Like for example, if a person is sick, going to visit them and looking after them. If a person is suffering from pain, then helping them. You know, in a hadith, what do we learn? That on the Day of Judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask a person that I was unwell and you did not come to see me. The person will say, what? How is that possible? How could you be unwell? Allah will say that my servant was sick and had you gone to visit him, you would have found me there. Meaning you would have found closeness to me had you performed this righteous deed. You would have drawn close to me. So this is the haqq of the servants, right? That when someone is sick, we go visit them. The hadith continues, I was hungry, you did not feed me. I was thirsty, you did not give me to drink. So giving the rights of people, this is also a means of attaining nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Somebody raise her hand from the back, from the chairs. Yes, sister. Kathratu sujood. Sujood, prostration. What is that? It is the closest position that you can be in to Allah azza wa jal. The closest position is what? Sujood. Yes. Even smiling at each other for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even a small good deed. Apparently it's very small, but done with sincerity, it draws a person close to Allah. Good akhlaq, it's the heaviest in the mizan. Yes. Good. Small deeds that are done consistently. Because those are the kind of deeds that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that may be small but are consistent. Yes. Ihsan. Good. Now, this is one way of wasila. Performing various good deeds for the sake of Allah with sincerity, with love, with fear, with hope in order to draw closer and closer to Allah. What about zikr? Zikr also, right? Okay. Now, the thing is that when you're making dua, when you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something, you always want to you know, have this conviction that your dua is accepted or will be accepted. Or you want to know for sure that your dua will be accepted. You wish that your dua will be accepted. Now, if you make a request to a human being, you say, can you please do this to me? What do you do to make sure that your request is accepted? You follow the protocol. So for example, if you are submitting an application, you submit it on time, right? You follow the procedures, everything you do. What else do people do in order to have their request accepted? Okay, just asking once is not sufficient, asking again and again. You know, think about it. You are applying for a particular position somewhere and many others are also applying. What are you going to do? You're just going to write something about yourself and hand it in? No, you're going to be on that case. You're going to try to make sure that you show yourself as really capable. You know, having that ability, that potential to really fit that position and do the best job, that you're the best candidate. So in presenting yourself as the best candidate, what do you do? You talk about your accomplishments. You talk about your you know, work ethics. You talk about your outlook and different, different things. Now when you make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you can also make wasila over there. What does that mean? That you do something in order to make sure that your dua is accepted. Some people what they think is that you have to go through someone. You find a person 
who's very righteous. So for example, the Prophet ﷺ, or there is a very pious person who's from the children of the Prophet ﷺ, so you make them the wasila and then your dua will be accepted. But this was not the way of the Prophet ﷺ, nor was it the way of the companions. What was their way? That first of all, when they made dua, they made it with the presence of heart. With sincerity. Mean what you're asking for. Ask deliberately. Meaning, don't ask with a ghafil heart. That you're asking for something and you don't even really want it from your heart. Ya Allah, please forgive me, please forgive me. Okay, go. No, is that how you say sorry? Is that how you seek forgiveness? No. What is the correct way of making dua? Of adopting wasila? What is that? First and foremost, presence of heart. Secondly, iman. Iman. Like for example in the Qur'an we learn, رَبَّنَا آمَنَّا فَاغْفِرْ لَنَا Oh Allah, we have believed. And because we believe, please forgive us. You understand? So in this dua, what are we taught? That what is being made wasila? Iman. That because we believe, oh Allah, forgive us. After iman, so first is presence of heart. Secondly, iman. Another thing that we can mention or that we can do when making dua in order to make sure our duas are accepted is calling upon Allah by mentioning His names. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا Call Him by those names. Because when you're calling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by His names, then you're asking for that special blessing that is necessitated by His name, that His name proves. So for example, you want forgiveness. What name are you going to use? Ghafoor. Only Ghafoor? Also Ghafoor rahim and Ghafar. Tawab. Right? So likewise, if you want help with regards to something, then what are you going to say? What name are you going to use? Hmm? Okay, Mustaan is not a name but a description. Okay, go ahead. Hmm? Al-Wali. Okay, Mu'een. Again, that is a sifa, not necessarily a name, but sifat, attributes of Allah that we learn from the Qur'an and Sunnah. That's also valid. Yes. Al-Qadir. You want help with something. And you find yourself weak and incapable. Ya Qadir. Ya Muqtadir. Calling upon Allah by His names. And remember that certain names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are such that if a person makes dua by those names, then his dua will be accepted. What are those names? Some scholars say it is the name Allah. Other scholars say Al-Hay Al-Qayyum. Al-Hay Al-Qayyum. Ever-living and sustainer of all existence. So calling upon Allah by mentioning His names, His beautiful names and attributes. This is also a way of having your duas accepted. What other form of wasilah is there that we can mention so that our duas are accepted? Sending salat and salam on the Prophet ﷺ. Before making dua, praising Allah by mentioning His names, His attributes, His perfection. And then sending salat and salam on the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because when a person does that, then what happens? What does he get? Mercy. When we pray for the Prophet ﷺ, that may Allah bless him and increase his mercy towards him, then what happens? We are blessed with mercy also. Alright? One more thing that we can do is mention our good deeds. Mention our good deeds. 
that, Oh Allah, once upon a time I did such and such. And I'm pretty confident that I did that for your sake. So Oh Allah, if you like that deed of mine, if you accept it, then please make matters easy for me. Please help me now as well. So for example, you are finding, you know, studying for a particular test to be very, very difficult. And as you're making dua, you say, Ya Allah, my last test, you helped me so much. I was able to do it so properly, so well, only by your help. I called upon you, I trusted on you, I did my best, and you granted me success. So oh Allah, grant me success now as well. You remember the story of those three men who were traveling and then they took shelter in a cave and then that rock came and blocked them? What did they do? They used wasilah, right? How did they attain nearness to Allah? How did they increase the chances of their dua being accepted? By mentioning their good deeds. This is not showing off. No. Come on, how can we show off before Allah? It is only more servitude that, Ya Allah, with your tawfiq I did this. If you find it good, you were pleased with it, then please help me in this time of need as well. You understand? We learn about this story from hadith about a woman who used to have this spinning wheel, right? Something like that she had, and a goat as well. She went out for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala somewhere, and when she came back, everything was gone. Somebody stole it. So she made dua, and using wasilah. That if I believe in you, I am your servant, I did this for your sake, then please have my things returned to me. And her things were brought back to her. So this is true, that when you are in time of need, if you talk to Allah you know, with conviction, with mentioning your good deeds that you performed sincerely for His sake, this is a, a way of getting your du'as accepted and responded to inshaAllah. Another form of wasila is performing a good deed at that time. So for example, you want to make dua. You need something. And you raise your hands to make dua. But before you do that, you give sadaqah. Before you do that, you perform salah. Before you do that, you recite some Qur'an. Before you do that, you prepare some food and give it to your sick friend. You perform some good deed. Because your good deeds have just been presented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You fast that day. إِلَيْهِ يَصْعَدُ الْكَلِمُ الطَّيِّبِ Good words and good words include dua. They ascend to Allah. But you know what ascends them? What takes them to Allah? وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحِ يَرْفَعُ Good deeds raise good words. So if we want our good words of dua to be accepted, what is it that we need to do along with them? What is the wasila going to be? What is it going to be? Good deeds. Do we see this in the life of the Prophet ﷺ? Performing good deeds, of course. Remembering Allah, of course. Making dua by using His names, of course. We see this in the way of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Why would a person make dua in this way? يَرْجُونَ rahmata, Hoping, expecting Allah's mercy. And at the same time, fearing His punishment. Alright, so is the matter of wasila clear? Any question? Yes. No, no. It's not mentioning your good deeds while making dua. It's not testing Allah's ability, nor is it challenging Him, nor is it showing off to Allah one's good deeds or demanding compensation. No. 
You know, this is just like when you are talking to someone, alright, you apply for something, okay, and you want to be the best candidate, what do you mention? The things that you've done. Do you mention everything? Things that are relevant to them, right? That will make them realize that yes, you are the most suitable candidate. So you mention them, mention your good deeds before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also, so that your record looks really good. Allah already knows, He doesn't need to be told. But when you mention to Him, then you are you know, asking Him for more mercy. Go ahead. Very true. It makes dua less mechanical. Because it's a relationship that you have with your Lord, right? Ya Allah, I did this in the past and you helped me, you gave me tawfiq, you help me again now, you give me tawfiq again now. Of course, you can mention your sins and ask Allah for forgiveness, which is why, if you think about it, in so many du'as, what is mentioned? Istighfar. Seeking forgiveness. Because what prevents us from lifting up our hands before Allah? Guilt. I'm too bad. I've done this. I just almost missed my prayer. And now how can I make dua? Right? So this is from shaitan, this negativity. But the thing is that you go to Allah seeking forgiveness, and then you ask Allah as well. He will forgive you and give you what you want. Because He is Allah. One more question that was asked about yesterday's class was with respect to the word ar-ru'ya. The word ar-ru'ya. In the last verse, وَإِذْ قُلْنَا لَكَ إِنَّ رَبَّكَ أَحَاطَ بِالنَّاسِ وَمَا جَعَلْنَا الرُّؤْيَا الَّتِي أَرَيْنَاكَ الرُّؤْيَا What does it mean? That which is seen. Vision. The word رُؤْيَا is also used for a dream. Okay? But it doesn't only mean dream. Over here the word رُؤْيَا doesn't mean dream. Because like I mentioned to you, Mi'raj, the night journey was not a dream. How was it? It was a physical journey. It was when the Prophet ﷺ was fully awake, conscious, because in the first ayah, what do we learn? Subhanallahi asra bi abdihi laylan. There are many words that prove over here that it was a physical journey. If it was a dream, by the way, then would the mushrikeen have any problem accepting that the Prophet ﷺ had this dream? Think about it. In your dream, you can go anywhere. You can do anything. Isn't it? But when somebody says, no, not in my dream, but in reality, I went this place, and I saw this and this. That is where people will doubt you. Now the question is, why is the word ru'ya used over here? It refers to the visions or the things that the Prophet ﷺ was made to see on this journey. So ru'ya as in that which is seen, vision. What was the Prophet ﷺ made to see on this journey? First of all, Baytul Maqdis. Then... Jibril, what else? Barak, and then going up into the skies, the gates of the skies, and then he was taken to Sidratul Muntaha, right? And also he was shown scenes of people being punished, of reward that is prepared, alright? Prophets that he met. So he was made to see many things. So when he came and he told the people about what he saw, that became a fitna for the people. A test for the people. Clear? Alright. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.